It's like life's too short <laughs> to hear that stupid stuff. So when P&G offered me the ability to go up and actually pack soap within this really uniquely special plant that he had to have special approval to go into because it was still somewhat experimental. It had been written up in Harvard Business Review in 1963, I think, as one of the advanced manufacturing platforms in America. Yeah. I jumped at it. University of Alabama's Colorado's College of Business is Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from most people who both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, and on the show today, Dennis Schuler. Dennis is currently a co-owner of Consulting Group, as well as a senior advisor in private equity. In previous positions, Dennis has worked for Procter & Gamble, Kellogg's, as well as Walt Disney. He came back to campus to talk about his story. In this first part of our five-part series, he's going to share his story, eventually moving to London. How are you doing today, Dennis? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me, Cole. It's great to be back on campus. Uh, awesome. Uh, what would your today? What did your day look like today, by any chance, for you? Uh, today was uh, for people that understand and know Alabama. It started at the Waysiders. Yep. And classic. If you, if you went to school here, you'll know that the Waysiders is a little hole in the wall, but it's got the best breakfast in town. So I started there uh, with a couple of the. People I've known here since I was a student, which was fun. And then I taught a couple strategy classes, and then I had a roundtable with students, and then I had a couple one-to-ones with three or four students on career. No, good that, day. That's what, honestly a very. And by the way, it's a beautiful day. day for you in the north. That might be listening to this. It's fifty-five and sunny, and I left uh, six inches of snow with ice on the ground. So it's good to be down here. And it's it's you know beginning of February. It should be cold, <laughs> yeah, but it's balmy down here. In yeah, Alabama. the flowers are up. It's it's good. I like uh, it. Anyways, get started on your journey, Dennis. Mm -hmm. You went to undergrad uh, at a yes. different institution, and then came to Alabama yeah. for a master's. What was that master's again? Well, where I started, uh, I'm an upstate New York kid, and if you listen to my accent, you don't hear any southern accent to me, although I, like Brian Kelly, might be able to fake it, but probably not very well. Um, so I was I went to the State University of New York at Oswego in Lake Ontario, and for those of us that grew up there and know the area, it's renowned for its lake effect storms. It's brutal during the winter. And I remember coming back from undergrad, one of the business classes, and saying, I'm going to grad school because I was the first kid to actually go into grad school. It was a personal goal I had, but I knew I didn't want to do it in the north. And so I started looking at um, universities kind of south of the Mason-Dixon. And Alabama was the first one to offer me money to go because I was a poor kid. And I could come down here and teach and do some research and also get a good education. I chose... Um, I chose master's, it was called industrial relations, but it's really how organizations work Okay. because I used to drive my father to work. We had a one car, you know, typical one car family. So during the summer, when you're 16, you drive dad to work. Exactly. Build up those hours. <clears throat> yeah. And he was a machinist and he had 41 years there, this factory. And I'd let him out and I, I'd watch him go into the factory, this big cavernous entrance, this dark entrance. And then he'd come out at eight hours later when the whistle blew. And one day, you know, I summoned the courage to ask him, what's it like when you're in there? And he says, well, let me tell you, he says, when I come out of the car, I'm your father. When I get to the gate, I take my brains out of my head. I put them at the gate and then I walk into the plant for eight hours. I'm told what to do, how to do it and when to do it. And then after eight hours, I pick my brains back up and come out as your father. And I started thinking about that's a hell of a way to leave your life, your work life. And there must be a better way at creating 
high commitment, high performance organizations take full advantage of the total human as opposed to the physical labor that a person can give. And that's what led me to Alabama. And that's what led me to the curriculum. Awesome. And your master's program was two years, I'm assuming? It was actually, God, I'm going back now. It was 18 months was the other thing, which is the other driver, which is, I didn't want to spend two years at it. I, if it was one year, I would have, I mean, I was poor and I had borrowed heavily. Mm-hmm. And my parents who had never graduated from high school were like incredulous, like you, like I borrowed like $25,000, which back in the 70s was a lot of money mm. to go to school. And they're like, you could be in an hourly job working like we are and making good money. And they couldn't comprehend that it wasn't their experience base in life. So yeah, it was an 18 month period. It was very intense. Um, and the faculty made it so, and I mean intense in that it was positively intense. They took a personal interest in you. They knew me by name. It was a small program at the time. Um, the faculty was really, really super sharp on their game every minute, and they expected you to be on the game. But at the same time, they had a nice, maybe Southern mannerism about it, that they really cared about you as an individual. The assistant dean didn't know, I, he knew I didn't have a lot of money, and he would, I think where classes were Tuesday and Thursday at night, he'd take me to dinner every week because he knew that was the only proper meal I was going to have when I was down here during the week. And those things made a lasting difference on me. You know, when you're thinking about a young, impressionable kid from upstate New York coming to school as a Yankee down here to the South, and Barry Mason, who was the dean, and I could go through a number of these faculty people that took a personal interest in me, that cared about me. And that's why I give back to the university. I just think that you roll it forward. And the things that people did for me, I now want to do for the young people that are coming up that have uh, the same backgrounds or the same opportunity that's before them. Mm, that's awesome. And do you want a, a second to talk about some of the faculty members that most impacted you while here at Alabama? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, Trevor Bain um, was, he was my mentor. He was my, um, he was the toughest nut to crack. He was the hardest instructor. He was on record that nobody had ever gotten an A in any of his courses. I don't know if that was true or not. But it certainly compelled me to prove him wrong. So that that was good fun. Uh, Mickey Petty, who um, was a had a really successful consulting practice in addition to instructor, and he was phenomenal at bringing in real case studies he'd worked on, which really piqued my interest in terms of wow, you can actually make money um, by virtue of your experience as a consultant, which I'm doing now. And he kind of planted that seed 35, 40 years earlier. Lena Pruitt, who uh, I think was the first African-American teacher. She was my advisor. She was awesome. Lena was great. She had these glasses that she would let run down her nose, and she, she'd look up when it come into her office. She goes, Mr. Schuler, what do you want from me today? And it was just a <laughs> joke between the two of us because we just hit it off. Um, Barry Mason, who's the longtime dean here that Dean Palin replaced, um, he was the department head at the time. He was outstanding, mm-hmm. awesome. In fact, when I walked up to bid good steps, my first day on campus, I bumped into him, literally. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you, can you direct me to Barry Mason's office? He goes, you're looking at him. <laughs> and he's a tall guy, so I'm looking up at him. And I said, how do you know me? Because he, he says, I know you because you're the only Yankee that is out of the program. So we had a big joke about that. We became good friends over the years. Uh, Jim Cashman, this is this is kind of an example of the friendliness of the faculty. Jim and I became lifelong friends. He passed away about ten years ago, sadly. Um, but he was he was a he was a student's teacher. The kids loved him here. I never had a course from him ever. 
that he and I became close friends because he had an interest in me. I met him at an airport uh, when Southern used to fly in and out of Tuscaloosa. Okay. And I happened to bump into an airplane. He goes, you're Dennis Shuler? And I said, yeah, you're Dr. Cashman. And we did, that just grew into a lifelong relationship. I'm thinking of folks like Ron Dulick, mm-hmm. who's still teaching here, who's, yep. who's just awesome. Lonnie Strickland, mm-hmm. a Rassable. Still teaching GBA 490. GBA 490, and God love him for it. He's great. And, you know, the Strickland Thompson book is obviously still one of the best strategy books. So some of the key, I think, unsung heroes, Connie, Connie Chambers, who makes a lot of stuff happen behind the scenes, Linda Johnson, who's done a great job kind of marketing the program to companies that come to campus now. The two of them, I don't know if they get the credit they deserve fully, but most will never know what they do on behalf of the university and their daily work. They're, they've been fantastic. I could go on and on, but you know, part of what I recall of Alabama is I can't recall any of my professors at undergrad but I can recall every one of them here at Alabama. That just speaks to, you know, the nature of the program, the, maybe it is the Southern way, but I think it was more than, I think the faculty really believed and was interested in understanding what young people needed, took a personal interest in them like they did me. And that made all the difference. And then the final guy was Al Spritzer. Al, I think Al was the assistant dean. He was teaching the labor relations course. And Al was the guy that took me to dinner. Mm. And, you know, it was a spaghetti dinner up the strip here yep. every Tuesday, Thursday night. And he's the one that recommended me for my first job when it came out of came out of university here. I think he went on the Middle Tennessee State as the dean of the program. Okay. Great guy. So you could, you know, I could go through, there's probably 10 or 15 other people I could name. But the fact that I can recall them 35, 40 years later is, you know, indicative of what impact they had on me as a young person. No, Without I, a doubt. I, that, that's amazing that, you know, so many people so many years later that they're still impacting you in some way, shape, yeah. or form. Uh, what year did you graduate by a chance from a master's program? Uh, I was here 78, 79. It just happened to coincide when Bear Bryant won his last two national championships. So it was a good time to be on campus. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Yeah, yeah Roll Tide. Uh, so obviously you graduate from mm-hmm. Alabama with a master's. Where do you go from there? Well, my first job was, uh, many people think I went to P&G directly, but um, I went to a, an aluminum company out the West Coast in Tacoma. Again, I had my master's in labor relations. I actually wanted to go figure out how you could create better labor relations in American industry, particularly heavy industries. Trevor Bain, who I mentioned earlier, Trevor had a unique uh, view. I mean, he had an expertise in transportation, steel, rubber. He was heavy core industry uh, professor. And I took an interest in that in myself. So when Kaiser came calling and said, hey, we need a labor relations specialist in one of our plants in Tacoma, I said, wow, uh, Tacoma, West Coast, pretty cool. First time I'd ever been in an airplane, by the way, 25 years old going out for an interview. Wow. And then they treated me really well. It was just a great experience for two years. So, you know, learning the ropes, uh, understanding union management relationships. Unfortunately for Kaiser, um, two things happened. One is in order to succeed in their company, you had to transfer to West Virginia. They had this big, big plant, 4,000 people in a town that wasn't much bigger than 4,000. And really deep union management animus. I mean, really mm. intensely bad, like 100 arbitrations, several hundred grievances. And, you know, I, I was the guy that sat in a lot of them and tried to figure out how we can meet, make peace. And that plant um, was a two-plant location, always had difficulty. And so I was using a consultant in Cincinnati, he used to work at P&G by the name of Rob Daly, really good guy. 
Rob would come to West Virginia, and he kept on saying, you got to come over to Cincinnati, meet the P&G people. And I didn't know much about P&G, and I didn't know anything about Cincinnati. I'm going, eh, I don't want to do that. Right. But eventually, I started traveling into Cincinnati. And I said, hey, this is, probably, this is a pretty cool town. Um, and I started meeting the P&G people. When I took away from meeting the P&G people were, wow, these guys are super smart. They're super ethical. Like, they know what, they, they know what they're doing, and they are really good at what they do. And they're extremely ethical and the right thing to do people. And I said, man, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. And eventually that led to an offer. Okay. So I joined P&G, and instead of me joining the headquarters, the guy that hired me, Jack Looney, he's, a, again, another lifelong friend, he cooks up a deal where I go to Lima. And Lima is a manufacturing plant that you had to have special approval to go work at because it was one of these advanced work systems. It, okay. it married the technical work system with the social aspects of work. It's called socio-technical work system design, not the board, the listeners. But it's basically team-based. Everybody on the team does a portion of the work, and so you don't have a lot of management. Small little planet, two or 300 people with maybe 25 or 30 managers, most of which are off-shift, planning yeah. the work where the yeah. technicians ran the operation. And you can imagine me coming from a traditional labor relations environment where I'm beating my heads against the wall. My last grievance I heard was the millwright. I'm looking at the door here. The millwrights grieved it because the carpenters hung the door because the door was wood, carpenters wood. The millwrights thought it was their work it was a metal frame. It's like life's too short <laughs> to hear that stupid stuff. So when P&G offered me the ability to go up and actually pack soap within this really uniquely special plant, that he had to have special approval to go into because it was still somewhat experimental. It had been written up in Harvard Business Review in 1963, I think, as one of the advanced manufacturing platforms in America. Yeah, I jumped at it. And that was probably, Cole, that was probably the most impactful assignment I've ever had because it taught me, remember going back to my father, like there's got to be a different way to design work so you get the best out of the total human, not just their physical effort, but their mental and that system did it in spades. And it was just a terrific learning experience. I came back from there, and I think I spent, I mean, it kind of phased now so long ago. I think I spent five or six years in engineering. And then I got the bright idea. I started to look at where the company was going. It was starting to globalize its categories and brands. And I said, boy, I, I think I need to get an international assignment. Interesting. What, what really drove you to do that? Was it just a, the shifting of the model for, for p Yeah, I was always trying to think about you know, where is the business going and how do I intersect it? How do I prepare myself for where the business is going? Okay. So we started to get, we started to look at uh, like a, like a business like Pantene, it's a hair care product. Like, can we, can we get it around the world quickly on innovation? It used to be three years to innovate and get it around the world. Could we have that? And having that meant you went to more of a global structure to enable that. Okay. And you started to pull responsibility out of the local markets and get to a common platform across the globe. And I said, that makes sense to me, but, you know, I'm going to need to be pretty cognizant and fluent of what it's like to work internationally. So I raised my hand and the company was great. They came back to me and said, um, how'd you like to go to Saudi? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You know, I got a wife, had two young kids. You know, it was California compound living is how it was billed. But in Saudi, my wife, who was a school teacher, would not be able to work. She wouldn't be able to drive. And so she nixed that and I supported that. And I thought I was done because P&G, you know, the folklore was, I don't think it was fact, but the folklore was if you turn down a job, 
you're, you're, you might as well just write your resume and leave. You're dead in the water. Three weeks later, to, to the company's everlasting credit, they came back and said, how about London? That concludes our first part of our five-part series with Dennis Schuler. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide. <laughs>